0: Greetings, this is The Inspector, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, streaming into your human earholes. Enjoy!
1: Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in
0: mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft.
1: You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message that bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
0: Bye-bye Saturday night.
1: From a rarely used manufacturing facility on sub-level 4 deep in Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 364, yet one more edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Feeling somewhat discombobulated by everything, I'm your host, the Dome. I, I heard something today that upset me, that Jerry Lewis's grandkids got absolutely nothing in his will. In the I'm not sure how to react to that anymore. Joining the talk tonight, the rest of the gang in the Peabody Time Tunnel. It's our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic-screw-driving, violent, virtuoso, who's doing ten things at once today because nine simply wasn't enough, Kriana.
2: What the fuck does that man's will have to do with literally anything?
1: Uh, nothing. Okay. Just, Absolutely nothing. Just so we I got just,
2: that straight. Was, okay.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I just felt upset by it, and
2: I'm not even sure why. It's his why. thing, not yours. God. I know.
1: I know. Been, like, It's like you know. It's like Gary Lewis and the Playboys. What can I tell you?
2: You know. Who cares?
1: Anyway, <clears throat> yeah. Back from her well-deserved vacation in the stacks of the dank dungeons, college prep underground library at California Cyborg University in Sulphur Springs, New Jersey where she teaches salty lyrics to Watson after the IBM staff leaves. It's Zombre, and I wonder if she's back yet. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> and somebody else who was in here that I'm gonna introduce is gonna slide in later. The man who's known as a witness to coincidental history, he was there in the field with his friend with a thistle stuck in his jeans and said, you know, we should do something with that. Uh, voila, he said, we could call them zip ties. Well, unfortunately for him, his friend invented Velcro. You're in the presence of reverse serendipity because he'll be here later, our futurist and gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, awake by Java. But joining us in our first, our third half hour, first half hour, uh, I, I want to break it down to three parts, but each one ends up being a half an hour, and I'm not going for an hour and a half, is Cameron J. Quinn, uh, writer and raconteur. Cameron, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Well, we've been trying, you know, it's a funny story. We've actually been trying to have you on for close to two years now. Two? Really? (laughs) Yeah, I think it is, because it, it was not this Granite Con, but last Granite Con. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while, and somehow it never quite happened, and we keep bumping into each other at conventions and, Saying well, we've got to do this, and then for some reason you weren't getting any of our emails, but we were getting all of yours. And I really think you've got a spam folder that, when it sees sci-fi Saturday night, goes, "I'll eat this." Thank you.
3: Uh, I even so- I looked in there. I did because I thought maybe, but it like my email hides them instead of putting them on the top. I had to like go hunting. I did find some, but I had to hunt eventually. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Anyhow, um, Cameron is a, a writer who writes different stuff depending on the name that she uses. So I guess, how does that happen?
3: Um, well, it happened because they were so, the things were so different. Um, and, uh, deciding to be an indie author kind of played a role in that um, because I knew someone who was actually published traditionally, but her first book flopped. And um, so she had to come up with a pen name. And after discovering that my given name, I'm the only one, I thought I better make sure that I have something before I put that name on it.
1: Oh, wow. There's not another single one of you like that?
3: Yeah, there's there's not another Marissa Frosch out there, so <laughs> yet <laughs> yet. Um, so I decided that I better really make sure that whatever I do under that name is good to go. So I decided that that would be the best way uh, to do nonfiction, and you know that's the name that I used when I am getting my degree and everything, so it fit.
1: So you have. The Starsboro Chronicles,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the Apocalypse Diaries, and Tales from the Salem Grimoire. Yes. and as much as I want to, as much as I want to talk about the Starsboro Chronicles, because you actually won an award for uh, the first one, How to Get Arrested. Wait, is that actually the
3: first one? Yes, that's the first one.
1: Okay, uh, I want to talk about that for just a little bit because you know, independent authors it's very difficult to gauge what they're doing, how they feel, uh, how the rest of the world, it's kind of like you're, you're writing in a vacuum a lot of of times, but to win, to be a new Apple medalist for eBooks with your very first book in the Starsborough Chronicles, how did that happen?
3: Um, It got started because of uh, V.S. Holmes. She entered Smoke and Rain in the 2015 New Apple uh, Independent Awards. And so she told me that I should enter the 2016 ones with How to Get Arrested. At that point, I had three or four of the Chronicles out but I chose the first one because then you don't have to try to explain everything to the person who's reading it to give the award. Um, <laughs> and okay, <laughs> it worked that's out. Fair. So um, yeah, it worked out. I I definitely don't think it's my strongest piece because it's my first one. You know, as you go, you get better. But to have it win an award was um, really, you know, it just made everything feel real. I guess.
1: It's kind of unique in a way, because it's, you know, it's your first shot out of the out of the canon with this with this series.
3: It, it took a long wow. time, a lot of writing, and a long time before I picked what I was going to publish first. But yeah, having the first thing that I kind of threw out into the world win was um, amazing.
1: So let's talk about the Starsboro Chronicles. Uh, Give us the grand overview of what this is about.
3: It's about two brothers who are actually from another dimension. And they're only half human. So um, being displaced from their family, they do what they have to to kind of get through life. And the older of the two, Zurich, has this need to protect people. And Trent, the younger of the two, you know, has this grand plans of being a lawyer, but kind of sticks by Zurich and helps him out. And um, the story starts when Zurich accidentally gets caught on camera, taking down a... A Faye, which is like a. They were created by Morgan Le Fay and Arthur. And if you read the book, it goes into it. But he kills them on camera. So Detective Jennifer Morgan picks him up and she's trying to have him arrested for murder, even though she can't find the bodies. And. Um, sorry, one second. That's no, okay. I have so- kids. He-
2: <laughs> I just want
1: to.
3: Okay, they're good. Yeah,
1: we we all having distractions <laughs> tonight. Not a problem. <laughs> um,
3: yeah. So that's where it starts. It starts with her picking him up, and she's trying to arrest him.
1: Okay, so you've invented. What does the name the Starsboro Chronicles mean? Is uh, Starsboro? The-
3: so when I was when I first came up with the idea, I was living in North Carolina with my husband who was in the Marine Corps at the time. And I really liked it down there. So I wanted the story to take place in North Carolina. Um, And then I am also a huge Buffy fan and I love the idea of a made up town because you can literally put whatever you need in it and it kind of makes it easier (laughs) for continuity and all that. (laughs) Uh, So, and there's this town on the way to Emerald Isle from where we lived that um, was called uh, Swansboro or something. But I kept calling it Starsboro.
1: <laughs> so the mispronunciation became the setting for the books.
3: Yes, it did. That's where it came from.
1: <laughs> so the first one was written, was published in 2016.
3: Yes. Yes. In January. Okay,
1: and the rest of them came out, are coming out. We've got uh, ten in the series
3: right now. I have six. Um, I have how to get arrested, and then in February I released in February of 2016 I released how to diagnose a changeling, and then in March of 2016 I released how to stalk a stalker. And after that, I kind of started to um, slow down because of family issues. So I got the next two out, um, How to Defend a Damsel and How to Get Kicked Out of School. And then I took kind of a long break when I got pregnant. And I just released How to Stalk a... Not Stalk a Stalker. How to Catch a Serial Killer um, last month in September. And then I put them all together with a short, with a bonus story for part one.
1: So you're, you're producing all of these individually as eBooks and yes. then putting it together as a physical copy?
3: Yeah. It, the, I know a lot of people who like to have the physical copy and I didn't want to alienate those readers, but I also wanted to give them something for buying the paperback, which is why I created the bonus story, which is how to Got make it. a monster.
1: So how, okay, you wrote the first story and it's longer than a short story and shorter than a novel.
3: Right, so that's why it gets that novelette title.
1: Right, or novella or, of, of I, I'm thinking that there are like rules for how long it has to be to be one of those and I'm not sure what they are.
3: Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> my, my understanding is a short story is like less than 10,000 words and then a novelette is less than 20,000 but more than 10,000. And then a novella is twenty thousand to fifty thousand. That's my understanding and of it. Fifty
0: thousand <laughs> novel.
3: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So you were uh, a military wife at that point, point. Mm-hmm. and when you started writing this stuff, what was your what was your impetus to start writing? What what made you grab at paranormal romance and this stuff?
3: Um. Originally. When I was, you know, when I first first started writing, you know, I was like six, so um, that was a little different. But as I grew as a writer, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's when I started. Trust me, I had a whole series. (laughs) Really? uh, Yeah. Um, But as I grew, I I think I was about fourteen when I came up with the idea for a portal fantasy, and it was about a girl who gets sucked through a portal into another dimension and you know she meets um, an elven prince and that was you know the the basis of those four books which I haven't written yet but I have them outlined um, and then when I was, was started looking at indie publishing I thought these shorter paranormal books would be a better fit for readers so I kind of skipped ahead and went to their children, which are Zurich and Trent and you'll made later. You'll meet um, faith, but that's, you know, it started out as actually a portal fantasy and morphed into an urban fantasy with paranormal, you know, a freak of the week kind of a thing. (laughs) So
1: what was it that, What, what are your, what are your muses? What did you draw from? What, what pushed you towards this, this style?
3: The style, the first um, author that I really connected with as a young adult um, was Sherilyn Kenyon. And she writes a lot of, they're kind of qualified as vampire um, paranormal romance. But I liked the, she has this kind of punchy, um, tongue-in-cheek kind of style that I really kind of loved. And then, I, like I said, I was a huge Buffy fan. So anything Joss Whedon, I was all about. And I love the humor. Like, when you're reading something that's so serious, and then two seconds later, you're laughing to the point where you're, like, crying, That that was what I was going for and and what I enjoy in, in other people's work.
1: So you went from a serious reader of this genre to becoming a serious writer and as difficult as it is to be uh, moving around as a military family does uh, from place to place. And, you know, uh, the, the, Difficulties of putting a family, holding a family together, and all the rest of that that comes with it, as we're finding out tonight as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when do you find time? And are you, do you, what's your routine when you want to sit down and write? How do you do it?
3: Uh, it's insane. I have two choices I can get up at four o'clock in the morning and write until the baby wakes up. Or I can stay up until about midnight after the kids go to bed. And, like, really, that's the only time. Um, Now that the baby's a little bit older, she's seven months, my husband has graciously volunteered to uh, handle the household on Monday mornings so I can go to a coffee shop and write. Uh, But that hasn't been happening, you know, for the last year. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, I I pretty much, I I get very little sleep if I want to really write. So, you know, NaNoWriMo is going to kill me, but I'm going to do it because I love it.
1: At what point did you get together with VS Homes and start working through Amphibian Press? Which, if truth be told, you're a very active partner and participant in.
3: Yes, um... That's, that's kind of a fun story. So we met our sophomore year of high school. So we've known each other for a while, and she was the first person I met who liked writing as much as I did, but not only just enjoyed it, it was something that she was compelled to do, like I was. You know, and especially in high school, you meet lots of people who enjoy writing short stories and things, but they don't necessarily have these characters that are eating away at them. So she was kind of a kindred spirit and we lost touch a little bit. She went to college in Canada for a semester or, or maybe a year and we, and I got married and moved to North Carolina. So we kind of lost touch. And, um, after my first son was born, we reconnected and she told me she had finished her book and I was in awe because I had made a human, but I hadn't been writing um, and I hadn't really made any progress in my books so that was kind of a, a catalyst for me. And then she was talking about this process of finding an agent and you know getting an agent to just look at your work and everything you have to do and while she was doing that, I was helping her research agents which, for listeners, if you want to submit to an agent, you have to research them. Don't just send your stuff to everybody because it won't work that way. Um, well, and in the why process, doesn't
1: it work that way?
3: Oh well no, because, that
1: that's an interesting point. Why doesn't well, it work? To do that
3: because certain agents are looking for certain pieces and when you just, you know, shotgun your thing out, you're maybe gonna hit two or three people who might be looking for that but you won't have tailored your, your query to them. So, you It's know, like
2: as, how you tailor your cover letter every time you apply for a job, you just don't send out the same one.
3: Exactly. I mean, it, you know, pieces of it can be the same, but you need to make sure yeah. that, that the p- parts that matter apply to that agent, or they're not even going to look at your, your piece. And so as
1: you as you were doing that, finding out, I to, uh,
3: yeah, I um, go ahead.
1: I stopped doing the. <laughs>
3: okay. I shouldn't... I'm <laughs> sorry. Problem. You got me started again, so it's fine. Um, okay, good. <laughs> I I found uh, Joanna Penn, which I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's a UK-based author who took the indie movement if that's what you want to call it by the horns and really she's just done amazing things but more importantly she shared it with everybody so she's helping to teach people and this was 2011 i think she started publishing in 2009 so at that point she wasn't huge but she was doing things that i definitely wanted to do um and as sarah or vs holmes was getting more and more rejection letters from agents who I really felt, you know, were good fits um, for her piece. I thought, you know, why don't we go the indie route? And she came back at me um, a few years later and was like, "Hey, yes, this is what I want to do, but I want to start a publishing company. Like, I want to take it a step further and not just publish my stuff. I wanna, I wanna help authors. And to me, that was absolutely." what I wanna do. I wanna be successful in my own writing, but I wanna make sure that everybody else has a chance to. Um, so we started Amphibian Press and I am getting a degree in marketing. So she graciously named me the head of marketing for the press and we've been working on it ever since.
1: Now Amphibian Press does a number of things uh we see you guys at uh conventions talking about your books talking about all the books in your repertoire at this point you also accept submissions uh from other writers
3: currently we accept short story submissions for anthologies Um, our goal ultimately is to have um, authors submit their full their full manuscripts and publish full length books. We're actually talking to an author about that right now, um, but she'd be our first. Um, And the whole idea, you know, we're just trying to to grow, but it's kind of slow because I have, you know, three kids and a husband and she's a contract archeologist. So right now this is kind of a, a spare time thing and hopefully in the future, we'll be able to really amp it up and create the publishing house that she envisioned.
1: Now, at this point, Amphibian Press is kind of physically located uh, in uh, northern New England.
2: Wait, don't and wait. Wait, result- wait, wait. I, I need Go to ahead. interrupt this question, though. Even though Go it- ahead. Contract archaeologist is the most Indiana Jones thing I've ever heard in my life.
1: When we had V.S. on it a, a, a year and a half ago, she talked about that.
2: I know, and I think I said the same thing. <laughs> I think you did, actually. But I, de- I don't think that the phrase was contract archaeologist, and that's awesome. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> now we can
3: go back to real. Hopefully she's got
1: the hat and the leather jacket and the whole thing. Oh, she does. Not-
3: she. Do- I don't know <laughs> if she has the whip, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs>
1: Okay, where was I going? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that we're all gonna do is just interrupt each other with thoughts at the moment. And then like, as she was talking, I'm going, where was I going? I was going to uh, Amphibian Press is currently physically located in Northern uh, New England. And as a result, we've seen you at, at a couple of conventions where we've been as well. So how, how many conventions, uh, Has Amphibian Press been
3: doing? We've done, we did the Granite Con um, and we did Keen Con, and I'm trying to get us signed up for one next April, which I sadly can't remember the name of. Uh, It's in Lemonster, Mass., I think. It's in Massachusetts. Plastic
2: City?
3: Yes, yes, that's the one. the the gentleman at the booth next to mine at KeenCon, Keith. He um, he gave me a uh, whole Keith, bunch
1: of this guy who runs it.
3: Yep. yep, yep, He gave me he gave me the the down low on cons. So um, hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more. But that's all we've done so far. I, I don't know why we don't do more. We always do well at cons. But we're both kind of um, I don't want to say antisocial. But we're definitely introverted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I never, you know, I've never seen you guys be antisocial. I, I mean, every oh, time I run into you guys at, at a convention, you've been very social.
3: Yeah, well, we gotta, we gotta put on the the, you know, the mask. But um, like it's especially all
1: fake. Is that what oh, you're telling me? It's all no, fake.
3: <laughs> no. It's just you gotta really like work us up, and then and then I have to have like downtime for two days afterwards. But.
2: Like
1: they're
3: like me,
2: don't
3: they're like me, where I like (laughs) talking to people, but then
2: I need to go and have everyone be very quiet for a couple hours. Exactly.
3: And actually, BS has been phenomenal at the cons because she she's worse than I am. Like she's more introverted than I am. So to see her at the cons, like talking to you guys and everything and networking, like I'm so proud of her. You have no idea. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you guys are a lot of fun to talk to. I've got to tell you. Um, so you, the smaller conventions are a kind of everything old is new again. About 10 or 15 years ago, there were a lot of these very small one and two day affair conventions, uh, mostly held at like rec centers or banquet rooms at holiday inns. Uh, but they went away for a while and the bigger ones got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now these, these smaller cons are coming back. I was wondering how you felt about uh, being at uh, Keen Comic-Con two weeks ago. How how did that go for you?
3: I definitely prefer the smaller cons. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about the, the larger cons where everybody's waiting in line to see a celebrity and nobody's really, you know, buying from artists and and authors. So to make it worth it, I think we need to at least focus on the smaller cons and, you know, that's where we need to be. I think also, especially like Keem Con the, the admission was like ten dollars. So people still had money in their pockets. You know, you can take your kids out for the day and, you know, they can dress up if they want to and, and they get to see all the costumes and everybody else but but it's not gonna break the bank.
1: And I think the kids under ten or twelve were free. Yes, which was also nice. Definitely. So, uh, how did you like the the atmosphere? Uh, I really we first of all full disclosure we were right across from each other all day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I had a great time. I got to tell you, it was. It was one of the most fun, relaxed conventions I've been to in a long time.
3: Yes, it was definitely, it definitely felt, you know, the atmosphere was good. You were, We were relaxed and I didn't feel um, any of like the stress or anxiety that I tend to get. Like at GraniteCon I have a little bit of a, of a hard time. I actually feel bad. I, I snapped a little bit at V at GraniteCon because it was just a little bit too much for me. There's a little bit too much going on. People were too close. The people in the booth next to us weren't really nice or talkative or anything, you know, Keen was a lot more calm, there was space, I didn't feel like people were on top of me, um, and I was able to talk to people on both sides and actually make great connections. The um, the guy to the right of me, the children's book author, Lenny Kay, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually hoping to, to talk to him about doing a, a sci-fi story for for Beamed Up, our newest anthology. And, and you it's know. really
1: interesting that he came to me and said, you should talk to her. And you came to me and said, you should talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a well, whole lot of kind of grassroots uh, uh, marketing going on. Yeah. And it was it was really fun. Yeah, I mean, and- it was one of the few conventions where I got to talk to virtually everyone there that, that, that I wanted to talk to. It was great. I mean, I even talked to the auctioneers, and that was just weird.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure about the auction part actually. <laughs> I felt like I was getting yelled at for a little while there, but
1: you know, it, it's it's the first year of a con. They they tried a whole bunch of stuff. I won't say that anything failed, but some stuff worked much better than other stuff for sure. But yeah. uh, it was it was great fun. Um, so, Amphibian Press is now putting a, an anthology together. And you guys are each working on your own uh, processes and, and books as well. What's coming up for you in the coming future?
3: For me? Because it would be
1: silly if it was the coming past. Anyway, yeah. sorry.
3: It, <laughs> you could also just look back there and see what I did. But um, <laughs> so you wouldn't have to ask me.
1: It's true. Uh, I could, but I can't. So, yeah.
3: so I'm hoping... Next year is going to be a big year work-wise for me. Unfortunately, I won't be able to actually publish a whole lot. I am planning to get out the second half of the first season of the Starsborough Chronicles and kind of wrap that up. Um, I'm planning three seasons, so the second, se- the first season should be done next year, and I am, I'm getting. Salem Witch, which is one of the Tales from the Salem Grimoire. It's like a prequel. I'm getting that ready to go. Oh, can we talk
1: about that for a minute? What What is that whole uh, other project, Tales from the Salem Grimoire?
3: So I have what is that? I have story ideas coming out my ears, um, but this one really kind of clung to me because I want to really make it more of the the paranormal romance because. Frankly, romance sells really well. So, um, it, to kind of like—well, if
1: you write it well, it does absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
3: and and it's what I enjoy. Um, I enjoy the romantic aspect of things, but also I I like it to be a little bit less than the stereotypical romance where it's just about the guy and the girl, and I like it to be a lot more than that. So to kind of bring the—I don't know what you'd call it beefed up romance, I guess. Um, I, I decided that I was going to do these tales from the Salem grimoire. And the idea came to me, uh, when we were on a walk, I was on a walk with my sister and she was saying, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a potion that you could drink so you could eat whatever you want and not have the calories. So I came up with this witch who does that. She makes potions like that and so she lives in LA, which is where LA Witch comes from, because where else would they want to be able to eat as much as they wanted without gaining weight? But LA. So that's kind of where that came from. And I'm trying a new marketing thing where I'm not releasing any of them until I have the first three done. Which is it's it's hard for me to have it ready. Like I have the the covers done, I have I have so much ready to go, and I can't do it until I get, you know, all the edits and everything done on all three of them.
1: Um, What's the the thought behind that?
3: Well, I've I've heard it so many times from um, successful indie authors. They're like, anyone who's starting out today, you know, you need to have the first three in the series. So I have the prequel, which is a novella, uh, which is Salem Witch, and it's about literally Salem, Massachusetts, you know, 1690s. Um, And then I have, which that one, when I put out, uh, will be free. So people can try the series, try my style, see if they like it. And then they have the three books that they can purchase, right? As soon as if they, as soon as they finish that free book. Nice. The idea being that, because there's so much content out there that if you make them wait too long, Unless you really really stuck with them, which hopefully I would you know that would be the dream, but um, if I didn't, <laughs> then they could forget. So you know I have Or they're
1: moving on to another author or whatever
3: yeah. right, because yeah, there's, there's, there's the newest you know, every day there's a ridiculous number of books published on on Kindle and in the ebook market because it costs nothing, and you know you just do it. so to kind of stay competitive having the free book so people don't feel like they're taking a risk on a new author and then having the three books ready to go so they can just pick them up which I have four books planned after Salem Witch so I'm kind of toying with the idea of waiting until the fourth one is just about ready but we'll see how patient I am (laughs) Well it's,
1: it's an interesting crossover that you have between writing and the writing production, the the publishing aspect, and the the marketing aspect. and and You bring them all together into a very, very uh, unique person with unique writing style that I'm really beginning to enjoy. Cameron Quinn is the author of paranormal romance, horror, urban fantasy, thrillers, She's talking about the Statesboro Chronicles, a series of, yeah, seven or eight or nine or ten books. We're not, or, or I'm sorry, novel, uh, and they're being released uh, as we speak. She's also the head of marketing and amphibian press, a small press dedicated to helping independent authors navigate the, dist- <laughs> the distress of publishing. Cameron, I mean, we've, we've talked to each other for a while now. Thanks so much for joining us on the show tonight.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: It's always, it's wonderful. Thanks a lot. Hey, Kriana, if you're not too busy, could we get the news? Or Zombarian? We're not going to get the news theme. Java, are you with us tonight?
2: <laughs> that was
1: close. There it
2: is. All right. Now it, are it, did it, did it, did it, did it, was it, distressing.
3: Yeah,
0: I'm I'm did <laughs> Are you there rules what?
1: about driving and skyping? What? Tell me.
0: I fig I got a head. I've got my bluetooth headset in. Okay. I'm here. Good. I'm doing my responsible. I'm actually literally pulling into my driveway as we speak. And you know what I'm going to do tonight after Oh, you know what I just saw run across my yard? Opossum, oh, no. And a op- an
1: opossum. Okay.
0: That's Is it your weird. sworn enemy. No. A possum oh, awesome. pictures. He, he went into my brush pile. I mean, that's cool. He can live there. Just don't bug me. Anyway. Not um, until he comes flying out with I his sharp possum teeth. I am not going to be watching Star Trek because I watched it last night. I'm not going to be watching okay. Star Trek because they took a week off. Right. I think I'm going to start Mr. Robot.
1: Oh, well, guess what? You're going to really enjoy season three.
0: I'm hoping that's the case.
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, you and I have both been big fans of that show. And once again, it has not failed to find a new bar to ascribe to, reached for it, and and just been wonderful at it. The first two episodes, yeah, loving it, liking it a whole lot.
2: You know what show I'm excited about that I'm probably going to start tonight after we're done with this show that we record? No
1: clue. Um, what
2: show? Well, it's a Netflix show. I want to see 1922. Um, really? Yeah. Why? Because it looks good. And I think I wasn't Stephen's, sure to be honest with you. I think Stephen King's writing does really well as mini series as opposed to as a film or a full length series. So, I'm excited, but I also really like that kind of serial killer thrillery thing. Plus ghosts. So I'm excited about serial killer plus ghosts. Or not serial killer. <laughs> murderer plus ghosts.
1: Murderer plus ghosts equals Stephen King goodness.
2: Plus gotcha. rats, not bugs. Like rats I can well, deal yeah. with bugs. I, yeah, I have to be back out.
1: Or little chick children in rain slickers with red balloons. Whatever.
2: No, I, I can, can deal with the children. It's the freaking clowns.
1: I know. No. I know. You have oh. your issues with clouds. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I'm so on fire, what though. Was, what was that comedy paranormal show we were talking about the other day? Oh,
2: the one with with, with Ben that guy. and Recreation and the other right, guy right, right. that looks really good, but I'm not sure because yeah. I haven't seen it yet.
1: So here's the, here's the problem. I'm three episodes in. Yeah, And it got flat really quick.
0: So I I don't know if
1: it's if it's writing or or whatever.
2: I think it must be writing because they're both very talented comedians and really good at building a character.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm shocked that it went as flat as it did as quickly
0: as it did. Um,
1: You know,
0: that's that's a lot. That's a lot of. Uh, of the problem with shows, especially new pro- shows, which is one of the reasons why people are hesitant to, to invest in new IP. You know, it's just it's such a hard thing to hit that that, you know, balance and then consistently hit it over time. Yeah. But right. one thing that we know is that Stranger Things no. is has no trouble with that, and it premieres this Friday. Yeah. It's eminently After, when this show airs. It, yeah.
2: Yes. So, so excited. <laughs> so this,
1: this weekend could be a Stranger Things 2 weekend, with no doubt. Absolutely. I think
2: we're going to have a lot timing. to talk about next week, as long yeah, as I we all get to see it.
1: I, I think well, we're all going to watch it this weekend, so I don't
0: understand. Yeah.
2: I don't know. You guys yeah. both have kids, things could happen.
0: Well, you know the the uh, one of the things that is interesting is that you know shows like that have kind of capture public interest, and despite the fact that that hasn't happened with Star Trek, really, um, they did renew for season two. Oh, so, you know it's it's by
1: by their very very weak metrics, uh, they're they're a hit as far as CBS is concerned because. The CBS paywall has doubled since uh, Star Trek came on. Uh, their their subscription base has doubled. However, they really aren't talking about what their subscription base is. So yeah, that's a hundred
2: Like doubling one 25. is two. Yeah,
1: it's
0: exactly. like six people. It's like whereas two. thirds in their, Europe, are bored.
1: <laughs> like, <also. laughs> Whereas in Europe, where you know it's on Netflix UK and Netflix Europe, it's they're they're just going like crazy with it, and, and I think there's the mistake that CBS is making once again with the American audience. But what do I know? I'm not a multi-billion-dollar network, am I? No,
0: or but are I- you? I could. I-, I should. You know, it, it, it's really interesting to see what's happening with it, and 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 I think that it bodes well. I mean, hard sci-fi is is a hard sell, and this and Star Trek Discovery is not hard sci-fi. Um, it, Star Trek never has been, but it's harder than, you know, a lot of the sci-fi we've gotten recently. So, um, it's it's interesting. I I'm I'm enjoying it, but it doesn't change the fact that we're not getting much new genre ip nope. in at least not in science fiction itself in the in speculative fiction sure but hard sci-fi is is
1: very difficult to find these days no question about it
2: well i feel like there's a reason for that i feel like technology is advancing at such a rate at this point that I think people are scared to write sci-fi because they know that it could be outdated by the time they publish it.
1: Definitely, with yeah. the amount of time from uh, writing to production to to a film or a television series, that's definitely the case these days more than ever before. Well, uh, and, you know, and that right, good
0: good writers and producers and directors and actors are all being pulled into stuff that's safe. Safe bet, you know. Um, and, well, and... and I mean,
2: sorry. Nope, go ahead.
0: And and that's okay, but, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for new stuff to watch, you know? Well, new stuff.
2: and, like, soft fantastical sci-fi and fantasy are... Not in a judging way, just they're more accessible. Like, a lot of people don't feel like science is their best thing. Like, science is something they know a lot about. And so I think that that makes it hard for people to feel like sci fi is their thing because they don't understand some of the underlying principles.
0: And that is the problem with the world. Yep. Oh. Oh, Says humanity's teacher.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you, though. I mean, you know, everything has to be safe. And it's a shame.
2: And you can read a fantasy book, and if the author's good, you understand everything you need to know about that world. From what the author tells you.
0: Yeah, but I think that science fiction is the same way. Yeah, people didn't pick up, uh, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or um, Journey to the Center of the Earth or uh, even even Neuromancer, which is being made into a movie as we speak, uh, knowing what those things were going to be they or, I... or what the world was. It was, it was explained like... to them the same way it is in in fantasy. Like a person who picked up the the fir- before any any other fantasy authors existed, uh, picking up a Tolkien book meant that you had to learn about what these creatures were. They had, there were vague analogs in mythology, but most people weren't well versed, so he had to explain what halflings and, and dwarves and, and elves were, and he did that. And I think that, that science fiction authors can do the same thing, right? Well, I,
1: I think that fantasy is somewhat safer uh, in that it it's not so much challenging the reader. Uh, and I, I don't mean to put it down because there's a lot of fantasy uh, that I really enjoy, but I just don't find it as difficult a read, perhaps, or as... Maybe perhaps part of it is that the attention span of the average reader has significantly shortened to the point where they just can't hang through a science fiction novel or hang through a sci- I had somebody say to me, uh, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner movie was horrible. And they just couldn't stay with it for two hours and nine minutes. and i'm not sure if that's a function of the movie or a function of maybe we just society. don't have
0: as good maybe we just don't have as good of science fiction authors anymore or maybe i just don't know where they are or maybe i haven't well, found them and because because a good a good writer makes something accessible to a wide audience right so yeah, so absolutely. Like, maybe the problem is that a lot of the people writing science fiction right now are just doing it either to you know, talk about what they're interested in. Maybe they're futurists, and they can't talk down to a, uh, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade reading level, or, or maybe they're just invested in their own their own stuff to the point where they're not really doing science fiction anymore. Which is a lot of the crossover stuff that that I've been seeing. It's not it's not science fiction. It's fantasy. You're just calling it. You just got. Goo gaws and doodads that make it sciencey.
2: Well, in, in addition to my argument about science, you know, technology and science advance so quickly that what they're writing could be outdated um, by the time consumers get to it. It a uh, corollary to that is that science is so advanced now that. We're kind of, we're living science fiction. um, Daily, yeah. Yeah. And I think that people reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea had to understand the basics of a pump. Like, and the idea that, you know, you could make metal airtight. Both of which were fairly new, well, mechanical pumps anyway. They were fairly new ideas at the time, but they're not difficult to grasp. And now I feel like you'd need to know advanced coding and nano, computer, micro, whatever. See, I can't even come up with... What it would need well, to, be, to be advanced enough to be beyond what we have now. With someone
1: without a technical background, or at least a comfort in current levels of technology, would they be able to enjoy Mister Robot, for example?
0: I think so. Lots of people Why? seem to. I think. Why? I think well because I think that that there's there are multiple levels there to that piece of that piece of writing right you've got the oh he's doing a computer thing <laughs> and they don't understand the computer thing but they know that he's doing a computer thing and they don't they don't they kind of blank out when it comes goes up to the screen whereas i'm watching boot right. up a raspberry pi and i've done that so many times and i you know it makes sense to me what he's doing on the screen which is really cool um, but because he's like, doing that, it right but that aspect of it is not what makes it good. It's that it's telling a human story and, and, you know, it's telling it through the lens of technology, right? Though that exact same story could be set in an entirely different era with it entirely different stuff. You could even set it in, in a medieval setting and still still tell the same story, right? Absolutely it's still a good, story yeah. about, about disassociation and mental illness and, um relationships and 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 um, family
1: and and society and and,
0: and government and and the ideas of commerce that we hold to so like all of that stuff is there um and those things could be told in a different way the thing that makes it science fiction i don't even know that i would qualify as science fiction um really no i don't why not
1: Okay, uh, see and here, here's the problem. this quantification, you know, it used to be uh, fiction and nonfiction. then nonfiction started uh, you know, then fiction branched off into a whole bunch of different kinds of fiction and there were, but there was just science fiction. And everybody knew what science fiction was. And it was everything from H.G. Wells to Ray Bradbury, uh, and then science fiction became, stratified as well. And we had speculative fiction, futurism, hard science fiction, soft science fiction, space opera. I I mean, yeah. Mr. Robot is science fiction because it's futurism and it's worst and best at the same time. And it's really complex storytelling.
0: Yeah, I suppose so.
1: (laughs) You gave him up way too easy.
0: <laughs> well, I mean okay, No, so, I,
2: we, we're kind of ganging up on him too.
0: Well <laughs> so so I think that one one of the things that sets science fiction apart from speculative fiction as a larger genre is that science fiction it has to do with um future science. Like the technology the, the scientific and technological advancements in society that um Speculate because it is under the umbrella of speculative fiction about what humanity's future might look like. The problem with Mr. Robot is that most of the stuff that they're doing and they're talking about in Mr. Robo- Robot is completely plausible. It's not. It's not future. It's not. There's no t- technological advancement. There's nothing. There's nothing outside of the realm of understanding. Everything that they're talking about right now in Mr. Robot, or at least on the last two seasons. Is is plausible? Like it's uh, not uh, not dealing with uh, the future. It's dealing with future advancements.
1: No, but it's dealing with almost an alternate present. That's really not that alternate either. And
0: that's kind of what makes
1: the great storytelling in it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that... Well, this is a really interesting conversation because we've, I, we haven't talked about genre in a while and, and how it's defined and what's defining it in our current understanding of, of speculative fiction. Um, but... that Because it's not dealing with future technologies, it's not dealing with future science or, or you know what might be true in the future. That's why I wouldn't put Mr. Robot into science fiction. I, mean, I would still qualify it as speculative fiction, but not science fiction. And I guess when I say I'm looking for science fiction, I want to see, you know, and there's all different kinds of science fiction. I want to, but I want to see futurists telling, making predictions about what the world will be like in a hundred years that are not in a hundred years. We're going to have flying cars because we've been having that conversation for a hundred years. And so Easily, yeah. <laughs> like, let's let's. I, as much as it pains me, let's give up our jet packs and our our biodomes. And what is it actually going to look like in a hundred years? The, one of the problems that I find with a lot of the science fiction that I read is that it's far too conservative, or it bleeds into the realm of fantasy. Yeah, I'll give you an example that that was um that was interesting. It was uh, Seven Eves. Uh, I think it was a Neil Stevenson novel, right? It was recent, and it wasn't one of a big one, right? It was it was a moderately sized book, and it had to do with this idea of the moon blowing up and then and then raining hell fire down on Earth, and society had to survive in space in little things. Anyway, it, really interesting book and worth reading, and it is science fiction because. It starts with an unknowable event, which, you know, it's not like, you know, it just happens. Like this thing just happens that the moon gets broken up into pieces. What does that look like? And how does that end up affecting us? And then how do we as humans change in order to deal with that? And I thought it was really interesting and it would qualify as science fiction for me as well as hard science fiction for me, um, and it it drew me in with Neil Stevenson's you know general style of writing, which is kind of long and explored explanatory and whatever. But um, I, I guess I'm not I'm, I'm just not seeing that kind of stuff in original IP coming out in other media. well, it's
1: it's not original, and I'll, I'll give you that much. But the one thing that I've seen that really is uh, just kind of different from everything else, because his writing was always different from everyone else's, is the the current television series in Britain, uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, uh, and it's kind of one hour nuggets of, and it's difficult to put into words, but. You know how in, a, in in the U.S. they've tried oh, 20, 30, 40 different times to do TV series or movies of his work and never gotten it right? And even Blade Runner, as good as it was, was based on a book that was so much more than Blade Runner was ever going to be. So that, uh, you know, it, it kind of for every mark that it hit, it missed four or five if you're going to compare it to the book. But Electric Dreams, what they've done is is taken the short stories and really visualized them in ways that I've never seen his works done before. And his works were always, uh, within his twisted little synapses, still hard science fiction across the board and just wonderful to watch. This show has been amazing thus far. And I can't wait for somebody like... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just say uh, I, I can't wait for somebody like Sci-Fi to pick it up or 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 do something with it because God knows, you know, it's just visually stunning, well-written, beautifully acted.
0: Is it is it available on Netflix because it was it did come across my radar and I and I put it on a to-do list.
2: we're looking we're figuring it out maybe
0: okay well and and you know that's one of those things that i think um is is really interesting i i'm hopeful that this interesting thing that's happening with television in, in, in a move towards you know doing things a little bit differently and not trying to make a a a series that's going to last for 20 years or 15 years is, um, is, is going to help. I especially like the mini series thing that's happening. Um, and I I think that it will lend itself to, as long as people like Amazon and and Netflix and, and HBO keep investing in, in new IP and trying things, it'll be, it'll be good. I enjoy a lot of that stuff. And I think that most people do as well.
1: You can't wait for Westworld to come back either, which is again oh. grand storytelling on the science fiction level.
0: Yes, and hard science fiction as well. I think well, it's a little bit fantastic, yeah. but I mean, I, I think that I just I just read a story recently about three D printed muscles that look they almost look exactly like the ones that um, were demonstrated in the opening of that show. So,
1: who knows? Hey, you know, we could sit and talk about this for hours, and we probably will at one point, but tonight's not the night. Uh, I have no idea who's on the show next week because it's kind of the way it is. So, Krina, if you crank up the tunes for the ending, Sci Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCon, Keen Comic Con, Books and Booze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. This ComicArthouse. You can hum in the background if you'd like to, Zamburian. This Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you have a free moment, take a look at Sci Fi 79's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And I say first because there's going to be our intro music production our all right. was by a Rock. the of Many thanks to the game. buddy the and Back from the rolling house of green. Thanks for all much appreciate your job. This is Dom saying, Terry and G. O